0: Okay, here we go. The first official episode of Pro Wrestling with me, Max Wilson. Um, This feels pretty cool. Like I said in the introduction, I've always really wanted to do my own show, my own wrestling podcast. And now that I'm actually doing it, it feels feels pretty cool. I hope everyone kind of understood what I was trying to say in the introduction. Um, I know it wasn't very long. I didn't really go into a lot of detail. But yeah, like I was trying to say, um, this podcast purely just pro-wrestling, any kind of subject. Um, and today, I thought I would um, sort of go through the origins of wrestling, pro-wrestling, like all kinds of wrestling, even amateur style, all the way up to the wrestling that we all sort of know and love today. And um, I have to say... Obviously, I didn't know everything. I've obviously been doing a little bit of research, and I've got my notes. But there is some. Uh, there's a lot of really, really cool sort of facts and a lot of history on wrestling that I'm. Um, I'd imagine a lot of people don't really know about. Even myself, I did a lot of this. I didn't know because um, I've never, never really delved into the history of pro wrestling in itself. I'm more of into like my kind of style, like the British wrestling. So. Looking at all this information and all this sort of facts about pro wrestling in general. It's just super cool. So, yeah, I really hope that if you're listening to this, you can sort of take something away. Um, I'm really not trying to make up like I'm some grand master of wrestling. I really hope (laughs) that's not what everyone's getting out of this because it's really not. I'm just really just so fascinated with wrestling. And I'm sure if you're listening to this as well, I'm sure you are also. So yeah, today, the origins of wrestling, where it started, the roots, everything from where it very first started to today. So um, yeah, I really hope you guys enjoy. So right from where it all began, wrestling, it really was not the sort of entertainment that we all know it today. Back then it was purely a, a regulated sort of legit sport that was nothing like how we know it is today. It really wasn't until, like the 1930s, that the tradition of wrestling and sportsmanship was sort of intertwined with um with the wrestling. In order to get to the root of where um pro wrestling started as a whole, we would have to go back all the way to the 1830s in France during the July Revolution. Of all things, um, said during that time that wrestlers were given fake nicknames in order to sort of make themselves appear as these obviously scary men, people not to be messed with, but at the same time they were getting people in from the uh from from the crowd, from the general public, um, in for a cash prize if they were able to knock the wrestler down to the ground. Um and this is where the uh the circuses got the idea from really. So people in the circus looked at this and they thought Wow, this is a big thing a lot of people are into this a lot of people are willing to obviously get up on stage and get involved so this is obviously quite a big thing so as of 1848 that uh, the troops adapted the style of wrestling that is called first-hand wrestling which later became known as but probably more well known as greco-roman wrestling in greco-roman style holds below the waist were outlawed and also holds that cause sort of a uh, serious damage were also outlawed so um, It made it a lot harder for people to try and knock the wrestlers down From what I read online really the the go-to way for the uh, the fans coming out of the crowd to Attempt to take down the wrestlers was with leg hooks. So obviously holds below the ways were outlawed They weren't able to do this. So like I said, it made it a lot harder for them to uh, win the cash prize so with this obviously they came much intrigue into what was happening here as it was very entertaining to watch I'd imagine anyway obviously I wasn't there. So by the end of the 19th century the first professional wrestling champion was crowned and his name was Paul Pons. Uh, He claimed to be the world Greco-Roman champion while um, other wrestlers won tournaments of their own. There was one guy however Uh, that Paul Pons couldn't really defeat, he could never defeat him. And um, he's quite a famous wrestler, actually. I've been doing my research and I have heard of this name. His name was George Hackenschmidt. Um, This young guy always triumphed over Pons. And by the early 1900s, a lot of people were stating and making claims that Hackenschmidt was the real champion and Paul Pons didn't deserve to be the champion at the time. So yeah, it was um, around this sort of time that wrestling was really starting to kick off. It was really starting to gain some traction um, around the world, but it was in the UK and the US, United States. Um, it wasn't gaining as much traction as the rest of the world as it was in these countries that they preferred the, a different kind of style. This is known as uh, catch, just catch-cam wrestling. Um, this is more like what we see nowadays so this was when that kind of style was starting to get in early 1900s um this is, uh, catch as catch can is a catch-as-catch can is a combination of um like several types of wrestling um it's practiced throughout the uk um more of an influence of like the lancashire styles of wrestling um kicks were allowed and there was more emphasis on mat wrestling submissions and stuff like that um this is when it found its way into the USA and going back to what I said earlier this is where the carnival wrestlers, they would use it against the public in open challenges and different kind of submissions and hooks and stuff and this would end these bouts relatively quickly this in order to avoid the shock of you know, a fan coming out of the stands and just beating these big wrestlers It was around 1905 that the uh, the Greco-Roman wrestler we mentioned earlier george hackenschmidt entered the us and he became the first known world heavyweight champion by defeating the american champion by the name of tom jenkins after he defeated him this is when the, the promoter of uh this certain company by the name of charles b cochran i think is his name he suggested that uh, that hackenschmidt obviously was so dominant he, he beat this guy and it was getting such A massive reaction from the crowd obviously because they've never seen their champion get beat by anyone else he saw the money and he could see that they were going to make a lot of profit and in order to keep this going he sort of he's this is when he sort of suggested the the entertainment side of it uh making it i don't want to say fixed but is everyone knows what wrestling is now this is what he was trying to get Get around to doing really in order to make money. So, like I just mentioned, George Hacken Hackenschmidt was so um, like strong and powerful that they wanted to fake the contest to make it look like, let me just make the contest a little bit more competitive and less one-sided. So, to make it look like there was a slight chance that George Hackenschmidt could get beaten, also the fans would keep coming back to see if anyone could actually beat him, where obviously in real life in the non-performance side he was so dominant no one's going to beat him but like I said the promoter saw that if he made it look competitive people would start believing that he would get beat and and in that way fans would keep buying tickets and keep coming to the shows and etc. You get it. Obviously the fans had no idea that this was happening they still believed that this was um, a legit Contest that they thought there were still two people really going at it trying to get the better of one another, but It was this sort of business philosophy the uh, the staging uh, the catch wrestling soon transitioned into becoming professional wrestling and a lot of other countries uh, adopted the same knowing obviously there was a lot more money to be made in uh, staging this contest rather than making them legit it is kind of crazy to think obviously because i'm quite young myself it's crazy to think that back then um people obviously they had like i said just then they had no idea that these were scripted and people were paying their money going into it thinking that this is a legit contest and um obviously it wasn't it's just so cool so after this in came um, frank gotch i'm sure uh, a lot of people know very famous wrestler, obviously a very famous catch wrestler. Um, he was the second ever heavyweight champion in wrestling. Um, he remained pretty much the biggest star in wrestling until uh, his retirement in, in 1913. Um, and obviously 1913, very close to the war and the, it was, like I said, very close to the war and it was at this point that some fans were really they were starting to Express their doubt over like the legitimacy of the sport. So Because of this wrestling sort of took a big nosedive. it was not a thing for quite a while So yeah, at this point it was wasn't really on people's minds at all But that was until what was known as the gold dust trio came around. This was three different promoters that um, They really started to take a step up in wrestling. These these promoters were called Ed Lewis Billy Sandow and Toots Mont. So yeah, otherwise known as the Gold Dust Trio. Um, Thanks to their sort of promotional skills, they sort of, they dragged wrestling up. They brought it back from the dead, essentially, and took it to the next level. These guys introduced things like uh, tag teams, uh, time limits, and uh, you know, finishing moves. And um, it became sort of less random, they paired teams up for long periods along with storylines being allowed to flourish between rivals so eventually the UK they caught wind of this and they soon introduced their own style known as all in wrestling which is which allowed weapons to be used things like steel chairs and even women wrestling in mud which is a bit weird but yeah people loved it so they kept doing it eventually a lot of people were catching wind of it and eventually uh, pro wrestling uh, developed into sort of a worldwide sort of spectacle that everyone was getting getting under and starting to do in their own way and things like that. But um, it's important to know that these three promoters were like the, the main guys of professional wrestling. In other words, the Godfathers of professional wrestling, they really took it up from um, something that was essentially dying and dying a painful death. And yeah, they brought it up. So yeah, they really turned it into sort of an entertainment spectacular. And they honestly, they, they kept that under wraps for quite a long time. Uh, obviously people before were questioning it, but when these guys sort of taken over, they, they stopped everyone questioning it. They really started getting people believing in it again and thinking it was real. So by the late 1950s, um, Pro wrestling as they knew it back then was going through uh, a lot of changes. Obviously this was like the golden age of television so pro wrestling had never really reached levels of this popularity like ever. It's never seen before. Um, Then eventually on TV they were seeing all kinds of different styles of pro wrestling. At this point it was firmly more of a show than sort of an athletic competition, like legit competition. At this point, it was definitely more for the entertainment value. This is where people, people like you know, Gorgeous George, they were starting to really take over and show like you know, Gorgeous George is all flamboyant, big, big showman. Um, that's where it all kicked off really. As I just mentioned, then Gorgeous George was such a pioneer of um, wrestling as a whole during this time. Uh, he was the the first wrestler to have a valet coming to him within the ring. He was the first wrestler to use entrance music, along with um, Buddy Rogers as well um there's probably the, the like the biggest influences of wrestling on television we've ever seen while all of this was um helping wrestling become a huge part of like everyone everyone was really enjoying it um it was also hurting it in other ways um a lot of fans were obviously long time fans were accusing like the the shows on TV of being quite dumbed down um so by the late 50s wrestling the ratings of wrestling were once again taking a serious nosedive instead of before like before having its own prime time sort of section on tv it was instead being used as more of um like a a filler for like late night tv late night tv obviously everyone was waiting for that so in the in the meantime they were putting wrestling on so in other words really wrestling had become like so overexposed that people were really starting to grow tired of it and also the promoters this is when the sort of politics was sort of getting involved promoters were like secretly buying tv slots off of other promoters so sort of screwing other people over to sort of get the better of them and doing my research there seems to be a lot of um a lot of ups and downs um sort of soaring up and then soaring down again like i just mentioned the late 50s It took a nosedive again, but then again, during the sixties, pro wrestling saw another big boost. You know, the um, uh, the EAWA were there; There they were setting new standards of how wrestling should be shown on TV. Uh, The NWA was strong, uh, especially in the south of America, and um, the WWWF, as it was known back then, was uh, also slowly making a name for themselves and then again we spring to the 70s when that rolled around throughout the 70s wrestling took another big blow Uh, as you can see it's literally up and down up and down Um, this was due to the lack of attendance and uh, many promoters were sort of they were forced out of business they really didn't have a choice because there just wasn't they weren't getting enough people through the doors even the ones that did survive during this time period were really they were really struggling to make ends meet Um, this even though all of this was still happening. It was still taking a nosedive. There were still some big things that happened in in pro wrestling in the seventies that that still sort of get talked about today. One of them being Pedro Morales. He made history, becoming the first ever Latin American cha- champion in the WWF. He was the heavyweight champion, and people like you know Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, they were starting to become really big names in the seventies. If you listen to this, obviously this is this is quite American based, as um. I don't know, there's just a lot of information about the American wrestling on there. Um, one of the biggest things that happened in the 70s occurred in 1977, and this was the debut of probably one of the, the biggest stars in wrestling has ever seen. And yeah, 1977, that was the debut of Hulk Hogan. By the time the 80s came around, um, obviously there was big things happening, but there was still really struggling like in the early 80s. Um, you know, thing, things were starting of, to get made worse with the advancements of uh network tv and tapes uh, the fans were now able to see like the inconsistencies of the storylines literally from point to point they could see everything obviously if a if you're a fan of wrestling you know of all the territories around in america Um, i know a few people were really into this american style of wrestling um obviously all the territories were really struggling and it was really only the wwf that were doing well I wouldn't say doing well they were doing well obviously but they were still struggling but they were definitely doing the better out of all of the other territories if you're a big movie buff and a wrestling fan at the same time you'll know that um Hulk Hogan appeared in one of the Rocky films he appeared in Rocky 3 but in consequence of this he was let go from the WWF so at that point they could already see that Hulk Hogan was such a huge star Um, and the AWA saw this and they knew he was a superstar so they signed him so with Hogan on their roster, AWA was really the the place to be. People were now they were really getting back into wrestling to watch this you know this larger than life character perform. But in 1983, AWA made the big mistake that one that ultimately sort of led to their demise. They let Hogan go, their their hottest commodity, who they had, and um, they let him go. And he signed with their competition, the WWF. I'm not gonna get into all of that Hulk Hogan through the eighties. Everybody knows what sort of um happened, obviously skyrocketed from that point. So in nineteen eighty-two Vincent Kennedy McMahon went against his father's witches, who was obviously the previous owner, but Vincent Kennedy McMahon he bought it off of him, he went against his wishes and he started to invade like other promoters' turfs. Now this was literally this was an unwritten rule that every promoter in, in America um, they they stuck to it. No promoter broke this until um, Vincent K. McMahon. It was at this point they were really starting to sell t-shirts. Obviously Hogan was selling millions of dollars worth of t-shirts and merchandise. So with this money he was, he was using it to steal the other promoter's talents. He was buying them out and um, obviously the other uh, promoters in the area were not happy with what um, Vince McMahon was doing. It wasn't too long before um, Vince McMahon taken a large portion of the NWA, AWA's talent. They enticed guys like Bobby Heenan, the Iron Sheik, and a lot of others to sort of jump ship and make the move to the WWF. And this was the point where they all, the AWA, NWA, Mid-South, really, they were now in fights fighting for their life, really, because they didn't have any talent. Their, Vince McMahon had all the money. They, they literally, they could not compete with Vince McMahon and the WWF. Okay, so uh, 1985 comes around, um, this is when the the wrestling world was sort of introduced to a new weapon, uh, the pay-per-view. And um, in doing my research online, most people believe, and even I believed, um, thought that the Wrestlemania was the first pay-per-view that happened. But in actual fact, the first pay-per-view was called the Wrestling Classic. And, you know, Wrestlemania wasn't produced until later that year. So when Vince McMahon came up with the Wrestlemania idea, he literally... He put everything he had into this. And if it failed, the business would be gone. He would have nothing left. So he needed this to happen. And lo and behold, WrestleMania happens. And obviously, it was a big hit. <laughs> As you can tell, everyone knows. WrestleMania, big hit. And all the other territories caught notice of this. All the pay-per-views. They all started making their own pay-per-views. But um, they really, they just could not muscle up to what Vince McMahon was doing. And um, in the last-ditch effort to sort of... Um, to fight Vince McMahon, and the WWF, all the promoters, they came together, they combined, they all came together with this idea to form a string of pay-per-views called Super Clash. Now, obviously on paper, that just sounds brilliant. All these, everyone's favorite superstars from each of their favorite promotions all coming together, wrestling each other, but there was a bit of a loophole. <laughs> um, none of the promoters could really, they they couldn't agree on who's going to win, who's going to lose. Obviously one promotion didn't want their superstars to lose and the other promotion didn't want theirs to lose so it was really just fighting and losing battle with this pay-per-view. So obviously everyone still struggling to keep up with Vince McMahon. Um, He was buying out promoters all over the country. Um, He was doing this just to keep his product the only product that was on TV so at this point the NWA, they, they had to act fast. They had to think of a plan in order for them to keep afloat. The NWA relied on a guy called Jim Crockett, which I'm sure a lot of people know, to keep them afloat. Um he started to sort of absorb all of the failing NWA territories and um this is really the only reason how the NWA was able to withstand and survive. The AWA, however, on the other hand, were not so lucky. Um he refused to give in to Vince, fighting him until like the very end. Uh, the end for the AWA and Verne Gagne was 1990 when they filed for bankruptcy. He still had a show on ESPN in 1991 but this was truly like the last year any kind of AWA was shown regularly on TV. Um, it would take years before Gagne let the fall of his promotion go. So yeah, the WWF essentially they've wiped out all the territories except for one, the NWA. Um, they were still alive, they were still still going and Vince had sort of, they failed to destroy them so they were still going but they were also at the same time they were still struggling to keep up with like the volume and how much money Vince was putting into his pay-per-view so they just could not keep up so in 1990 um, Jim Crockett he sold the UWF, um, a former prominent NWA territory um, the man he sold it to was none other than Ted Turner, um, he then obviously if you know your wrestling history uh he turned it into wcw and unlike crockett ted turner was willing to do anything in order to beat uh game he was willing to put any amount of money anything in order to beat Vince. again i'm not going to go into um what happened after this everybody knows um so All of this was going on. They kept fighting until the end of WCW, which was the 26th of March, 2001. Then they were gone. And then essentially, until AEW has come recently, it's just been WWF. Or E. WWE slash F. You know what I mean. So yeah, there we have it. That's just my little brief... um, sort of look into the origins of wrestling um i didn't want to go into all of all of you know wwe versus wcw um quite frankly it doesn't really interest me i'm just talking about what what i what what i wanted to talk about that's the point of this podcast really i'm not just gonna talk about things for the sake of it really i'm just be doing exactly what i want to do and talking about that just doesn't interest me so yeah um obviously he's only been what a 23 23 minute podcast is not that long i just didn't want to do you know a two hour long podcast that just would not have been fun for anyone me included um so yeah um i hope if you're listening to this i hope you enjoyed um hope you enjoyed listening Uh, i hope you took something away from it maybe maybe you learned something if you've learned something, that's that's pretty cool. I think I've done my job there if somebody's learned something. If you haven't, then fuck me, right? <laughs> I tried. But, yeah, that's just a tiny little snippet into the origins of wrestling. I might go through more of it in the future. But as of now, I've sort of gone through what I wanted to go through. Um, so, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Pro Wrestling with Max Wilson. Um, thank you for listening. Cheers.